0: Welcome to Money Savage, Savage Approach Personal Finance. This is George Grombacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Brian T. Bradley. Brian, are you ready to do this? Yeah, let's do this, George. Excellent. Let's do this. Brian is the principal attorney at the Bradley Legal Corp. He is a public speaker, he is a consultant, and a coach, and a returning guest on the Money Savage podcast. I'm excited to have you back on. Brian, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, again, thanks for having me back on. And this is going to be, you know, a little different talk about asset protection and not so much about the different tools we use, but rather, you know, what's changed over the legal system over the last 30 and 40 years and why if you own anything, you need to understand, you know, just like what's going on in the modern legal world and, you know, what the world we're actually living in and investing in. Um, And so, you know, what I do is, as we talked about in our prior um, episode is asset protection we focus a lot on the higher net worth uh, clients you know once you kind of hit that 1 million net worth mark um, and as well as the higher risk profile uh, clients who are real estate investors and syndicators or um, doctors uh, who are also investing and so we use a little bit higher level of asset protection of asset protection trust or foreign asset protection trust that we talked about last time or the hybrid bridge trust um, and I got into it just, you know, because I came out of law school when the, the economy just completely collapsed, you know, 2008, 2009. And I saw so many people's lives upturned, you, know, up, you know, just turned upside down from lawsuits and predatory lawsuits. Um, eventually, after three years of a bunch of litigation and trial experience, I wanted to start helping these people get ahead of the issues. And so I incorporated the area of as protection into my practice and started working and affiliating with the top firms in the nation and the world on it. Um, and just wanted to get ahead of the game because it's a proactive game. You know, you can't really do much to protect yourself after you're being sued or after you're attacked, you got to do it beforehand. And so that's what we set up is help these people create the systems that they need, whatever they may be, depending on their profile um, for something that's actually works and is efficient and effective and works how they intend it to not, you know, fake smoke screens.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that we definitely want want the thing to work and but that as, as you were talking it made me realize you know what if you did estate planning or asset protection you know 10 20 30 40 years ago so much has changed and you know is is it actually going to do what you want it to and I also think that we've probably all heard that we should have this stuff but again to your point why do we even care about it so if we could just tell it tell us a little bit about what has changed in the in the system
1: yeah so the legal system has drastically changed over the last 40 years you know it's no longer about justice but it's more about redistributing your wealth from what's called the haves to the have-nots you know civil litigation and predatory lawsuits are unfortunately in active business now and it's a multi-billion dollar industry with a B Um, what asset protection does is level the playing field and place legal barriers between your assets and your potential creditors. And that's it, you know, like it's not rocket science. Um, It's just a barrier, like a safe for your gold or your guns. Anything of value, you wanna put behind the barrier so it's not easily attached to with a lien or reached or attacked by lawsuits. And now for people who grew up, like we were talking about, you know, with a more old school mindset where lawsuits really were never an issue, you know, back about 40 years ago, you could have everything in your own personal name or in a family revocable living trust um, that was acceptable then and you can get away with that 30 or more years ago. But over the past 40 years the litigation landscapes completely changed litigation is, you know, the games being played now by um, plaintiffs lawyers who are actually doing all the suing and redrafting the field and the rules of the road. Um, Things that didn't happen in the past or that weren't allowed to happen in the past like contingency P lawyers who take a percentage of the damages or even law firm advertising are commonplace now and for example CPA still can't even be paid on a contingency basis because if they were to be paid on how much money they can save you on taxes What do you think they're going to do like they're going to lie cheat and steal to save you as much money as they possibly can that they can make as much money as they can. And there used to be the same principles and rules that apply to lawyers, but they don't anymore. Um, The fact that we even now allow attorneys to take on clients in a contingency fee model wasn't how the legal system was originally set up. And it all changed in the 60s when we started allowing these contingency fee lawyers to come in. And then in the 70s, when the Supreme Court allowed um, attorney advertising. And so now all the attorneys are just as profit-driven and using every marketing tool that they possibly can to attract as many lawyers or as many clients looking to sue as possible. And it goes into, um, you know, like Shakespeare, Henry VI, you know, the play that was written over 400 years ago. Um, it, it's a good cultural analysis of this, the saying by Dick the Butcher, you know, the first thing we got to do is kill all the lawyers. <laughs> um, the funny thing is that when that play was written, there was a completely different mindset of what lawyers were like back then. Um, the but you know Dick the butcher wanted to kill all the lawyers because lawyers stood for justice conspiracy and take over the government. Uh, so they had to kill everybody who was going to stand up for justice. That's a completely different mindset than we have of the legal field today. Like if you were to explain the legal field like that, people would most likely laugh at you. Um, and it's just an unfortunate part of the world that we live in. It's just a sue so happy nirvana that we've created now and then we combine this with what we'll talk about a little bit later uh, a judges in court's actual authority versus legal authority It's a really dangerous cocktail that we're living in now especially as we're investors who are trying to have you know more assets
0: got it yeah i, I don't i don't think that i was aware that the that it was in the 1970s i think the is is what you said that the contingency model came into being and i can see where that would really sort of mess things up and shift from looking for justice to having more of a profit motive. So that's, 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 I think too bad, but it is what it is, man. And this is the world that we live living no, it in. It is so. what it is. Yeah.
1: And then the different part of it all, it, 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 and it's something that we can actually try to do is protect ourselves against it to level that playing field, yeah. you know, but the other big part of it, is, you know, for a lot of these people looking for investing in real estate, is um, the difference between legal authority and practical authority. This is really where it comes down to is, you know, the reality is that a judge can and does do whatever a judge wants to do. Um, You know, LLCs and LPs, they're governed by the state statutes that you create them in. And so what this means is when you create, let's say, like a Nevada LLC or a Delaware or Wyoming LLC, and that exclusive remedy is going to be the charging order. You know, a judge, even in, let's say, California by statute, shouldn't be able to issue a remedy beyond that charging order and come after you personally in theory, you know, but everybody really knows that theory and practicality set, you know, really never mix. And that's not how things actually play out. Practical authority is the power a judge actually has to make decisions. And so a judge has very broad powers to reaching your assets, and they can seize them, place liens on them, foreclose on them, ordering a sheriff sale. They can clear a title and you know enable a clean sale, wage garnishment. You know it's endless what they can do. The problem is that judges, even without legal authority, do this all the time. Um, this is what their practical authority is. It's called the court of equity. Um, and this can be done in a direct contradiction to the established statutes and case law. Again, judges just want to look for equitable remedies. So even if it's against established state law, the judge has that superpower, the court of equity. And so what happened is that judge, against you know state statutes and codes, just took your asset from you. And so the solution to combat all of this is to hinder a judge's practical authority over your assets. And so, You know, you don't want them to be able to circumvent the legal process. And we do this with different levels of asset protection planning. And then having, for example, like trusts set up in very strong jurisdictions that we talked about in the prior podcast that have statutory non-recognition.
0: Got it. What a nightmare to go in front of a judge and that judge, for lack of a better term, ignores maybe the i'm I'm just going to butcher it. so they they ignore the rules and make some kind of an award and seize your assets. Your remedy there would be and to you, to 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 have to to have to appeal and what a just the the amount of time and energy you, and money.
1: Exactly. And then who knows what will happen in that process? And the whole point of asset protection is to not even have to get to an appeal. Depending on how strong your asset protection system is, you just want cases but it's in both parties' interest to settle as fast as possible because you don't know what a judge is going to do and you don't know what a jury will do and you don't want to go through all that cost and time and energy and turmoil of your family to even try to fight a just claim if you're being preyed upon you know at the end of the day if you're proactive and you set up you know strong asset protection systems you're going to see those cases go away really quick or not even be filed against you because for example when we we're talking about Uh, the bridge trust or a foreign asset protection trust, there's no hiding the ball there. We don't care that people know we have these trusts and the assets that are in them because they're so strong. So when you go into a negotiating tactic and you say, great, you're going to sue me for a million dollars, but my assets are now triggered and in the foreign, you know, in the strength and power of the Cook Islands, even if you got that million dollar judgment against me, statutory non-recognition, I'm sorry, you're not going to see a penny out of it. So instead of spending all this money attacking me let's make a deal we'll give you a penny on the dollar for you to go away and that's how those generally settle
0: got it so in conversations such as that you'd probably just come right out and say well i've actually done all this asset protection planning and so just so you have an understanding of that
1: exactly and most law firms will then look at that they'll do a cost analysis of it and realize Hmm. you're right you're you're they're non-collectible because in any lawsuit, like we talked about before, law firms are businesses that looked at collectability and profit lines. How much do I have to spend to get a potential estimated judgment? And then how collectible is that judgment going to be if we even get there? And when you have stronger uh, systems of asset protection, you know, really the only people that can come after you to even try to spend the money to, to get a judgment on you are, are what's called super creditors. Most people aren't super creditors they're what's called normal creditors. And so a normal creditor is what most people end up having knocking on the door like banks credit card companies judgment creditors um they have no special access to the legal system they're just as intimidated with the court process as you super creditors have a special access and they have special rights you know this is the government the man the irs the sec the ftc you know they have endless resources they can print money they they're generally above the system and at times it even seems like the rules and so um debt relief is still the goal in these situations especially if it's the irs coming after you but the stronger systems that we talk about even withstand and uphold and force you know the, these super creditors to come to the bargaining table really fast
0: got it so so in what what would an example where where a super creditor would be coming after somebody is it like a tax lien or no
1: Yeah, I mean, it can be taxes as a lot. You know, for example, there's a really good case that we use in teaching seminars. So we do a lot of continuing, I teach a lot of continuing legal educations, getting their credentials, uh, annual education redone. And we use this one case, U.S. First Grant is a really good case, very famous case. Um, And it was the husband, is a husband and wife, the husband stiffed the government for $36 million, and then he died and he stuck that money in the Cook Islands. Um, the IRS obviously wanted that money back because you know, you can't just not pay your taxes. Sure. And so they came after the white card. They sued her in the Cook Islands with all of the jumps and hoops that they have to go through, You know, like flying in the judge from New Zealand, fronting all the court costs, you know, one year statute of limitations, if you lose, you pay. Um, they sued her three times in the Cook Islands and lost each time. And so not very many people have that amount of money and resources to do that and still lose and keep coming after you. Um, At the end of the day, the money was still safe because the government couldn't force the offshore trustee to bring the money back. And I don't condone criminal behavior. So I'm not going to be like, hey, go stiff the IRS, you know, and not pay your taxes and stick it in the Cook Islands. But I use extreme cases to prove a point of power and strength.
0: Yeah. If the government can't get the money, then it's very, very probable and possible that a normal creditor would, there'd be no way. Well, it'd be very, very unlikely that they would.
1: Exactly. It's very unfeasible, um, and that's the power of it. You know, like LLCs and anonymity trusts, you know, or and other anonymity um, topics like that, it works to an extent. The anonymity, I think, is overplayed. To a point to where it, i'm going to find out who owns something in discovery you're not going to keep me from finding out in litigation and trial um and these lower levels are great entry points but at the end of the day the cost of litigation to force a settlement to hope that eventually the other party's going to stop wanting to spend money and if i'm suing you for a hundred thousand dollars i don't want to spend sixty thousand dollars to try to get money out of you um versus Asset protection trust and higher level asset protection trusts work as here's what we have You're not going to get anything. So there's no point of you even continuing this lawsuit or filing it So let's just make the deal right now. We're not hiding anything
0: Yeah, so it has more of a There there is certainly a a protection um fact that if they actually do go through with the with the lawsuit, they're probably not going to win But it seems like there's a big deterrent as well
1: there is, a, there is a big deterrent. and it even works for, um, like bankruptcy. You know, it a great example is called, you know, collection defense versus debt relief or is better known as asset protection versus bankruptcy. And they're somewhat related, but they're also really different. And so, you know, if we're going to, you know, like, let's just start with an example of debt relief, you know, it does what its name says, relief from debt, um, or paying off a debt in full, or you can settle it for less than the full payment by negotiating cost settlement. But unfortunately, this option is most popular um, and, and people try to jump into bankruptcy first and bankruptcy is a form of it. Um, and bankruptcy, like I said, is another form of this debt relief and it functions to try to relieve you of your debt through the legal process by going to court. Um, in its simplest form, the person who declares bankruptcy is basically saying that their debt exceeds their assets and once all of the available assets you have are used, you should be relieved from any further debt. When this happens, the bankruptcy is discharged and you get a fresh start. It sounds really good. You know, like, oh, great, I can use bankruptcy as a tool to try to settle my debt. I've used that tactic a lot in trial and litigation, um, but it's not my first recommended course of action. Um, it makes There was a, was a Bankruptcy Abuse Prevention and Consumer uh, Prevention Act in 2005 that got passed. And it makes it harder to use bankruptcy and it gives more rights and remedies to creditors. And it was lobbied really hard by banks and creditors for a reason. So it's probably not in your best interest (laughs) and you need to go to, you know, they're lobbying for it and it's not going to be work for you. And they're the creditors who want this established, you just need to think about why do they want those um, rules and regulations set up. like I said, like I seldom re- recommend bankruptcy as a first course of action, especially when the amount of your assets have exceeded the amount of debt, because uh, you don't want to put out all of your, you don't want to lose all your assets. You want to settle your debt and keep your assets. Right. Um, and that's what collection defense comes into or asset protection. Um, we've discussed one method on the prior podcast, like exemptions. You know, exemptions are clear of um, bankruptcy. Most creditors try to avoid going after assets that are classified as exempt. Um, another option is to separate the assets from the debt um, by using some of the legal tools that we've discussed before, like creating companies and LLCs, partnerships, using asset protection trusts, um, where you can place those assets out of the direct reach of a creditor um, while still maintaining use of those assets. And that's why asset protection has been proven to be very effective in keeping creditors away from your assets instead of just running straight to bankruptcy. Um, now the creditor, don't get me wrong, they're still going to come knocking on your door sure. and they're going to make your life more difficult by trying to collect. So don't think just because you created a system, like oh, I'm not going to have anybody knocking on my door. Uh, generally you're not going to be able to make them magically just disappear and go away. The goal of asset protection when you're talking about collection defense is just debt relief and keeping your assets. And so this is done uh, most of the time by the fact that the creditors can't easily reach the asset to get what they call a positive settlement. Um, once the creditor discovers this on their own, um, that you have no bank account to seize on or like no real estate in your personal name, and they can't place a lien on it very easily. Um, they become a lot more flexible and they magically all of a sudden come to the settling and negotiating table. Um, the thing to remember is that, all of this takes time You know, creditors need to go through their own process and prove to themselves that they can't collect Before they consider other options. So you just have to let them bang their head up against the wall a little bit and you just need to stay calm and not be so anxious and um, Anxiety brings on vulnerability. If you look vulnerable, you put yourself in a position to lose and so I think you can see that bankruptcy is not always going to be the best first choice and it actually has negative implications to keeping your assets because that's not what bankruptcy is about. Um, instead, you don't want to lay out all of your assets on the table in the front of a bankruptcy court and hope that the best outcome comes around and that you keep something. What you want is just to keep, have an asset protection system set up, let your creditors bang their head up against the wall, force them to come to the table and set up better negotiating um, settlements from a power of strength
0: got it well brian savage nation is ready for your difference making tip what do you have for them
1: just be proactive you know keep investing but at the same time just realize it's not a matter of what you have it's what you keep but if you're going to keep it you got to be proactive and plan before you need the protection
0: like well, that is great stuff that definitely gets it. come on come on an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure as they say Well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you?
1: Yeah, they can um, jump on my website, www.btblegal.com. And we do free consultations, Uh, tons of information and brochures and educational videos on there. Uh, They can email me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at btblegal.com. and. Like I would just rather have people, even if like we can't afford you or think you can't afford me, get the education and the information. Like Email me questions or um, jump on the phone and do a consultation because you need to be able to make better educated decisions. And if you're not talking to experts, then you're just going on Google and guessing.
0: Got it. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Brian your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to btblegal.com. Check out all the great resources, shoot him an email, and take advantage of his, um, the resources and his willingness to help instead of just blindly going on the Internet. Thank you again, Brian. Yeah, thank you. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together.